Alrighty, welcome to end credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... I'm Candice Lepage. Okay, good. So, uh... <laughs> I got mean, that I, sorted. I got that sorted because I almost forgot what show this was for a minute. I, I, I think people might have noticed I, I said, oh, hello, and welcome to What Is This Show? End credits. Okay, here we go. <laughs> So at least one of us has got our head on straight, which uh, does bow well for at least a completed show, if not a successful show. Not to sabotage Your things this early. Expectations are so low. <laughs> yeah, maybe they are. Uh, all right, let's get the, maybe maybe we'll 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 get this going with the show. Okay, Happy Faces. End credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We are here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new romantic comedy horror, Fresh, which you can now stream on the Disney+. Plus. That will be in the back half of the show for the first half. Um, we're going to talk about the movies of an actor named Bruce Willis, who... Um, kind of anticlimactic um, but perhaps not surprising given the circumstances his daughter rumor posted on social media this week that he is retiring from acting he is suffering from a condition called aphasia which um, basically makes it harder for you to communicate because you cannot speak essentially there's something goes wrong with your brain where you are perfectly mentally functional but something gets in the way of you being able to communicate well. So that, that is sometimes you say one word and you really mean another word. Sometimes it stops you from being able to speak entirely. Uh, it's a very complex condition, but obviously one that is not conducive if your vocation is acting. Presumably a lot because he's yeah. been doing it a lot. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's interesting to um, if you've been following Bruce Willis's career the last few years, he's basically, I mean, it's him. A lot of actors are, are, are working this bit, but they, they take part in these movies where they basically work for a day or two, get paid uh, a handsome sum. They are then their faces then slapped a bigly on a movie poster and the movie comes out and then you watch it and it turns out the star like the, the th three guys from a CW show and Bruce Willis is there for a couple of scenes. Um, but I mean, it also Bruce Willis got dinged by the Razzie. Is it the Razzie Society? The Golden Raspberry Society that gives out the awards, but he got like a special award. It's like, can you believe Bruce Willis is, selling out doing all this and uh, they basically had to revoke it because it sounds like he's been kind of doing as much as he can to to bank for the day that um, you know maybe he can't act anymore which I guess we seem to have gotten that day yeah and you know what so what if he was anyways yeah. too right yeah. like there's this whole myth about first there's a myth about you know everybody should like be passionate about the thing they do and they should love it and it should mm. be the best thing. Some of us just work for a living because <laughs> yeah. we have to work for a living. So there's that. The mm. other is that there's also this thing about the arts too, mm. where people just sort of think that if you're part of an artistic class, mm -hmm. that you should have some sort of 
snobbish, snooty behavior, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, some impression mm-hmm. about what is art and what is not. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's a job just like any other. There are tons of just like working actors. They just, they get the job done. And sure, you know, it's fun, whatever. And in some cases, in Bruce Willis's case, he's able to command a pretty high price for him to just show up and do something. But mm-hmm. that's because he's very good. He put in the work already. Like he mm-hmm. did. True. He did the work. And now let's just let him, you know, take what he can out of that. Like, it's just, I, I, you know, I'll certainly like joke about seeing Bruce Willis <laughs> in like 10 films a year, you know, and uh, particularly sort of our eighties action stars coming back to do things. Yeah. And it's not really uh, quite as good as sort of the late nineties, early aughts years when we kind of had like people come back from the eighties to do a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. Um, Bruce Willis being one of them at that time too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people are doing it so much now with as much, I would say, uh, art just to add, just to be one of those snobby people. Um, there isn't so much art to it, but at the same time, it's just like, why not? You know what? If you're in your sixties mm-hmm. and you can, you know, go have a good time and, and make <laughs> some money doing it and have your name on a movie poster. Why not? Why not? I mean, to some people, motherless Brooklyn is art and to other people, out of death from 2021 is art. I'm not, I'm not that the title is what gets me there. Out of death. How are you out of death? It was, was I ran a, out. Was I'm all run, out. Was there a run on death? Are they out of stock? Anyway, <laughs> um, I don't know if run on death is going to, or out of death is going to be <laughs> one of the, I may have just given them another uh, uh, title. Um, if it's going to be on one of the lists here, but Candace and I have prepared a list of uh, three Bruce Willis films. We think are, uh, meaningful to his his career and uh, perhaps his artistic flourishes. And I think we can make the argument that, yes, he was a very good actor indeed in his in, in his own way. So, Candace, why don't you start things off with your first Bruce Willis pick? Sure. This was really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, so difficult. Like, I have one and I'll save it to my last one, which was like automatic. This is this is my number one Bruce Willis role ever. But he's been in so many films and so many really good films and so many very different films from each other. Um, So it was hard to choose. And I worry how many of the same ones we may end up having, because Mm. there's also some very obvious ones. I had that worry too. Yeah. yeah, Like, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. So um, I hope you don't have hard kill on your list. I'm just, I'm just, (laughs) damn it. Let me just cross that one off. Um, Okay. So my, the first one I'm going to go with, uh, you know, it's it's a very obvious one, but it's very important to me, and that's Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Pulp Fiction, Quentin Tarantino, uh, the whole that you know '90s sort of rise of the indie cinema thing was really really influential in my life. And so Pulp Fiction is a film I actually saw 13 times in the theater. Wow. Yeah, um, because it was that impactful to me. And so Bruce Willis, of course, is is in this film. Um, you know, it's funny because we sort of talk about like this resurgence and John Travolta sort of got uh, a resurgence from this and, you know, a big comeback. But mm-hmm. I will also say like people sort of feel like this is sort of a comeback for Bruce Willis also, except that he never really went anywhere. Like he was, no. he's never actually had a, a stage of his career where he wasn't really actively working. Um, so 
it it wasn't really sort of a comeback, but it did sort of feel like a really different, just a different Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in some ways, and and this, I mean, in some ways, we sort of mentioned this before recording. Um, you know, Bruce Willis shows up and plays Bruce Willis. Um, <laughs> and and this sort of felt a little bit like that, but also not at the same time. It was just very, it's, I can't really pinpoint what it is about his performance that was either different or, or stood out. Um, except that, you know, there was also some, some um, serious uh, sort of, misogynistic male violence in it right which, you know in that segment in particular yeah and in, in his segment in particular um but then you know it also you know he played this boxer who clearly carried a lot of trauma with him to begin with we're introduced to his character by hearing about his father having died in a pow camp mm-hmm. and it's such i mean it's it's a hilarious little monologue and so <laughs> you know you can just sort of leave it at that but then you sort of think about you know the um butch is his name his you know what he goes on to do with his life and it's like you know obviously this really affected this guy and we Mm. never really dealt with that and then he takes it all out on um some really strange people yeah yeah (laughs) that's a good one because it it, you know it, it came off a string of not necessarily uh bad movies but uh he he definitely had a string there where it was um let's just say it maybe <laughs> he was trying for different things that weren't necessarily working out after die hard 2 and uh i i think uh pulp fiction was a good grounding place for him uh my first one is 12 monkeys and it is the terry gilliam movie and Bruce Willis plays James Cole, who's a prisoner in the year 2035. Humanity lives underground because of a virus that wiped out almost everyone. Uh, trigger warning for our current uh, conditions. Um, but he's sent back in time to try and figure out the path of the virus. It's easy to overlook Bruce Willis because he's overshadowed by one, being in a Terry Gilliam movie, which overshadows everything. Two, Bruce Willis, who is uh, not Bruce Willis. Uh, I mean, Brad Pitt who plays um, Goins, who's uh, uh, another patient in the mental institution where Cole ends up when he, the first time he goes back in time uh, is the, the the Brad Pitt. I mean, Brad Pitt is uh, almost literally climbing the walls. Uh, He, he's managing to do some uh, freaky eye work (laughs) at the same time, (laughs) but I mean, it's the Brad Pitt show, but you know, you think it would obviously overshadow Bruce Willis. Um, but it doesn't like he, he he has this unusual sort of grounding effect of these hyper realistic settings. And um, you're also reminded in the course of it that one of the things that sets Bruce Willis apart from like other guys who came up in the 80s, like Stallone and, and Schwarzenegger, is that he has an incredible vulnerability to uh, he's not a he-man uh, sort of man as tank kind of thing. Uh, he, he's he is a uh, there is human quality and human failing and um you know he he can also be i mean he's not a terrible looking man but he can also be a romantic lead and and i mean that's sort of like where a lot of schwarzenegger and stallone efforts kind of go wrong it's kind of sometimes hard to buy the 
<laughs> romantic angles with these guys who are built like brick outhouses. But um, Willis Willis was always able to make it work. And there's a you know a really lovey a loving relationship between him and the Madeline Stowe character that drives the the emotional arc for Cole. So uh, Twelve Monkeys uh, mm. is is a is a great Willis role. Um, not this, and not not one you would typically think of a Willis role either. So, yeah, yeah. Though it's funny that was on my on my short list, mm-hmm. and uh, I I decided to to not go with it. So, <laughs> bonus points for me. I was like, nope, nope, I'm not going to do that one. Um, okay, so my next one, I'm, I just feel so risky that I'm going to take <laughs> one of yours. But um, so it's interesting because you sort of talked about about you know Bruce Willis's like vulnerability mm-hmm. and. And and I think this, uh, so the sixth sense is mm-hmm. the one that I'm going to mention next. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, those two, that statement and this movie kind of kind of work together because it's such a quiet, understated role. Mm-hmm. Like he he hard like he's all of his films before this hadn't obviously hadn't all been action. He had been doing a lot of comedy, but it was a lot of really sort of loud, broad sort of you know things mm-hmm, and he mm-hmm. does that very very well um but in the sixth sense he's just this this one guy you know almost entirely alone the whole time through the film which mm-hmm. of course is <laughs> part of the due, twist due to the character yeah um but and and he spends you know so much of the film building this relationship with this child mm-hmm. um you know, he's supposed to be a child psychologist. He's trying to build a relationship with a child and he's just doing it in such a, like a soft, gentle way. And it's so strange too, because also before you understand the twist, you think that there's this weird divide between him and his wife. And it's like, mm-hmm. what on earth could be doing that when he's such a, a like a caring sort of person, right? <laughs> like how, mm-hmm. how does this happen? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, it's such a great, I, I feel like that, you know, again, this is a big place where it's like suddenly it's like, oh yeah, that's right. Bruce Willis can do something different than what he has been doing. Because, you know, like I said, you know, the 90s were were pretty heavy for him in in the sort of mm-hmm. action and or like action sci-fi, like 12 monkeys, um, things like that. And, you know, with my my pulp fiction, mm-hmm. he was really it's like the 80s were his comedy years and the 90s were his action years. And then 99, which is when Sixth Sense comes out, is when people go, oh, oh, that's right. He could kind of be like a serious actor, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will see your Sixth Sense and raise you unbreakable, though. I think you, if you were to make like a list, you can only have one of them on there. I think they're mm-hmm. kind of interchangeable because a lot of the things he brought to the Sixth Sense, he also brings to Unbreakable. And one of them is like working well with children like Haley Joel Osman in the sixth sense, but then Spencer tree Clark and unbreakable who plays his son um, who, who looks up to his father, you know, so much. And, you know, the, the character David Dunn sort of realizes this and, you know, you can see the pain on his face that uh, he's kind of not living up to his son's expectations of him. And, you know, how does he, 
you know, it, how does how does a father struggle with you know no longer being seen in the as a hero in the eyes of his kid, even though you know sort of there is this other aspect of it too. Or of course he is a hero because he has these abilities he's never sort of realized before. And I mean, so much of it is sad. Sack Bruce Willis. There's this like the heartbreaking scene <laughs> at the beginning mm-hmm. on the train where he's he's trying to flirt with a uh, another woman and it's it's just not working for him it's um you know the scene where he leaves the hospital and you you know it's because he's the only person to survive the train wreck so you think they're you know what is special about this guy well the answer is well we know what the answer turns out to be is that he has abilities but in that moment he's just a, a lucky guy and and the way that willis walks out of the hospital his posture uh, the the look on his face and also the way Shyamalan M. Night Shyamalan the director frames it too just like what what is special about this guy is he like he just lucky just dumb blind luck that he's walking away from this thing without a scratch and it 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 it, it projects this like the smallness David feels um, the the happenstance of the situation um but it, it's also part of like the character's own inner psychology too. Like, why me? What is going on? And which, which of course launches the whole, the whole storyline from the movie. So, I mean, that was a really interesting collaboration, of the Shyamalan and Willis. You know how how do those two people come together and create two really great movies? Um, first time collaborating. It's it's a treasure. Those two movies together are a treasure. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, so that brings us to the third and final picks. Yes. Uh, so before I say my my final pick, I wanted just just a shout out to Bruce mm-hmm. Willis's voice acting and look who's mm-hmm. talking and look mm-hmm. who's talking to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I kind of wanted to put the movies on my list but then decided that that I couldn't, but um <laughs> it's just it's just fun. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a fun way to enjoy some Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. Um my actual third pick this is my number one favorite bruce willis movie of all time i have been vocal about liking this movie in the past and it is incredibly underrated and by underrated i mean some people call it the worst film ever made and i think that they are all wrong incredibly (laughs) wrong and that's hudson hawk Mm -hmm. hudson hawk is my favorite performance by bruce willis in some ways again it's like uh, well, I'd say it was a role that was made for him, but he was part of writing the screenplay. So that makes sense. But mm-hmm. like he is so perfectly cast in this role as as a thief who, you know, gets out of jail and he gets wrapped up in this ridiculous, <laughs> immense conspiracy. Um, he's he's so funny. Mm-hmm. He's like at the peak of like Bruce Willis attractiveness, because I do believe that Bruce Willis <laughs> is still has always been a very attractive man and this is just like like it's 1991 it's a it's he looks great he just he still, looks he still has hair he does still have hair and he's got a great <laughs> haircut in this in this film because he, he's just come out of prison so, so it's a little <laughs> short a little buzzed but yeah so he just looks great he's so funny he commits so dramatically to this incredibly broad comedy like this film did not go over well because people didn't understand it mm-hmm. um this film is basically like a parody of kind of uh 
you know, like the art heist sort of, I w- in, in some ways it's like a parody of national treasure, except I think that national treasure is a parody of itself. Yeah. Um, but, and also came out, but that's basically what it is. Right. It's this, this, like there's a conspiracy and there's one guy who's got to like figure it all out. And all of these ridiculous characters, the cast of this movie. So here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I love Hudson Hawk, as you can tell. Mm-hmm. I believe I'm waiting for it. It should happen any day now. I'm sure uh, I'm waiting for the like the relook at Hudson Hawk where people look at it with fresh eyes and go, oh, I understand. I understand that it's a it's a parody. And that's why it's so bizarre. People did not get it at the time. And the director of this film, Michael Lehman, also did Heathers, which, by the way, is like a parody satire of the sort of, you know, teen Hughes. comedy sort yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. So people just didn't understand this at all. It didn't, it landed very flat, but the cast, like you've got Danny Aiello, um, Andy McDowell, uh, David Caruso, Richard E. Grant, Sandra Bernhard. Like you can't, it's just every time someone new comes on screen, you're like, this is the most like star-studded cast of the nineties ever. Mm-hmm. And we get these great songs sung by Danny Aiello and uh, Bruce Willis. It's just, it's great. <laughs> Everybody needs to go watch this movie. Open, just open your eyes. Be ready for it. Accept the absolute bizarreness because that's the point. Well, it was completely marketed wrong. Is the problem at the time because it was like it was like it's you know coming right off of you know Batman where you could just slap the bat <laughs> symbol on everything and people get it. Well, this was like a. I remember it was like a poster. It was like, catch the excitement. And then it was like Bruce Willis swinging on a, on a rope and it said <laughs> Hudson Hawk. And you're, you look at this and go, what does this mean? I don't understand. <laughs> what are you trying to sell me? Yeah, I uh, saw this in the theater and I loved it in the theater. It played at the old Odeon downtown Guelph. And I went to go see it and it was great. Which is now the Guelph Concert Theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, it, it's it's. I'm surprised it hasn't come back around. I mean, people are people came back around on Last Action Hero, which is the Schwarzenegger Hudson Hawk. But uh, yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> essentially. Um, yeah, for my for my last pick, and I'm glad there wasn't actually any too much crossover because um, I could have, like I said before, I could have gone Sixth Sense or Unbreakable. Um, but for my, my next pick, I chose The Fifth Element, which is uh, the Luc Besson sci-fi film. Yeah, very clearly. Another crazy one. Just Another crazy one. It's so over the top. It's got the Jean-Paul Gaultier costumes. You have Gary Oldman chewing scenery as a Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg, uh, who's the villain who actually never comes in contact with the heroes. Uh, it's really weird, but it's, it's clearly influenced by like all these crazy French graphic novels, uh, probably most notably Valerian um, and, and the, those graphic novels where Luc Besson would eventually go on to make the Valerian movie. But um, the fifth element is clearly better. And again, you have Bruce Willis sort of being surrounded by characters like Oldman. Um, you have uh, Chris Tucker doing a Prince impression. You have Mila Jovovich uh, kicking butt. You have um, just, you know, the, again, the crazy costumes, the monsters. And, you know, you meet um, Corbin Dallas. <laughs> great name. Uh, New York City cab driver, uh, former special basically colonial marine um 
you know, the, the first scene is he's in his apartment. He's making coffee. He's going to work. And uh, there's this guy at his door who's holding this like massive sort of atomic rifle on him. It's like, like basically sticking him up because for some strange reason, the uh, New York in the 23rd century is also New York in the taxi driver. Um, <laughs> but uh it's just this great cool sequence uh where where uh Corbin Dallas like essentially gets the drop on the guy who's trying to rob him and uh it's it, just in that moment you have Bruce Willis completely accepting the crate he's basically playing uh generic Bruce Willis action star in this this crazy sci-fi setting and he just goes with it he goes with it from the first minute to the last minute and he makes the ride so enjoyable that you just go with it too. He just he just makes you feel comfortable in this crazy hyper, cra- you know, French futuristic world. Yeah. Um, like in Hudson Hawk, he's yeah. he's the sort of the eyes of the audience. Yeah, right? it's like what am I doing in all of this? This is madness around me. And I mean, that's always been this sort of key to his success, like going right back to Die Hard is, you know, um, it's not so much that he's like firing machine gun and getting the drop on bad guys and leaping off buildings. It's that he's commenting on it the whole time going like, I can't believe this is happening to me. (laughs) And uh, that that was that's always been kind of his gift is um, even even when like the Die Hard movies get like go completely off the 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 charts in terms of like over <laughs> mm-hmm. the topness like when you by the time you get to live free and die hard he, he's yeah. he, there's still kind of like a nice sort of groundedness to that that he brings even though he's being asked to do more and more herculean stunts the whole time yeah. but. he's still just a guy trying to keep his family safe yeah true enough true enough all right. Well, um, hopefully that's not the last we hear of Bruce Willis, although I, he is facing a very difficult time of it. You know who else faces a difficult time? The heroine in this week's movie. It is called Fresh. We are going to review it after the break. You are listening to end credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. candy grapes. They taste just like them. I'm not kidding. Really? Yeah. I told my sister and my niece and they were like, no way, f*** you. So now I'm getting them on my way there. Your niece said, f*** you? Yeah. Four-year-olds are crazy. <laughs> All right. I can tell you don't believe me, son. You're going to have to try one. I don't want you leaving here thinking I'm a weirdo. Okay. 
Wow. Science. Yeah, <laughs> go with science. <laughs> Do you live around here? Because I, I live on aisle six. I just <sighs> come to the fruit section to talk to random, very good looking people that stand near it. Okay, that was a clip from Fresh. It's the new film from Mimi Cave, and it stars Daisy Edgar Jones, Sebastian Stan, Jonica T. Gibbs, Charlotte LeBron, Andrea Bang, Davio O'Kenny, and Brett Dyer. I hope I didn't butcher that gentleman's name. Um, but uh, <laughs> butcher, I just realized the joke I made. Um, <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> Is it a spoiler? I don't think so. <laughs> it is called Fresh, which yeah. I mean, it's like Raw, which was another movie about cannibalism. Um, yeah. But anyway, it, uh, Fresh is on Disney Plus, And uh, I think this is one of those films that maybe a couple of years ago and, it, and COVID notwithstanding, would have definitely come out in theaters. And I think that's a shame because I think the last 15 minutes are like genuine crowd pleasing moments that would get an audience full of horror freaks on their feet. Um, but I'll, I'll, we'll go into that later, <laughs> but uh, anyway, Candace, I know you are very, very enthusiastic about this film. So why don't you start things off? Yes. Yes. Well, as, as you uh, described it in our opening, the romantic comedy horror film mm -hmm. fresh, I'm like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. serious, you can't, you can't get more in my wheelhouse than, than that. Um, and then of course the whole like spoiler, the cannibalism thing, like the, even it's called fresh. And then on top of that, even the poster is a, hand wrapped up in a you know like a meat um packaging like as though yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. being sold it's clearly about cannibalism yeah. i did find it interesting that people were like i couldn't decide if they were gonna go cannibalism or something <laughs> else i was like what <laughs> okay i'm not sure what you thought you were watching but yeah so um i'm pretty sure so this came out in canada on on disney plus and it's not a disney plus movie people yeah. Don't no. worry about like children watching this as part of the star package, which is um, on ca Canadian Disney Plus. International but, Disney Plus yeah. has star. Yeah. 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 Um, but it came out on March 4th and I'm pretty sure I watched it the first time on like March 6th. Like I was, I was so ready to see this film when it came out. I'm like this, this um, not that I want to sound um, very, <laughs> uh, scary but i'll say i'm also i also enjoy a good cannibalism story and i'll be honest mm -hmm. i haven't watched some of the other ones like th that are more in the horror vein because i feel like um they're just too gross they're not going to be as fun as this <laughs> i want a nice fun cannibalism story uh i don't know i don't know maybe you want to avoid me next time you see me that's fine um <laughs> <laughs> but so I was looking forward to this uh, and it did not disappoint whatsoever. When I watched it the first time, I just, I just loved every second of it. And I was just like, who do I talk to right away about this? Oh mm -hmm. my God. I wish I had seen it in the theater, you know, with mm -hmm. other people and that I could have, you know, we could have like talked about it right away. And I could have shared that experience with people because it was so, it was, Yeah. It was great. Mm -hmm. It was, there were so many sort of really interesting things and like, not like surprising twists, but the way that the, it twisted was like, wow, they did a really good job of sort of that reveal and this reveal. And it was just so much fun to watch. I will say 
sadly, mm-hmm. I rewatched it for this week and it's still a great film and I still really liked it, but I, it just, those mm. little twists weren't as exciting the second time. It's definitely sort of a, a mm. first time experience. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them being, for instance, the uh, fact that the credits, and this is the one thing I did like immediately. I was like, who do I tell about this? I got to tell someone, oh my God, I just watched this movie that did like a whole 30 minutes of the film <laughs> and, that does and the then opening did credits. an opening credits. And there's nothing <laughs> like I didn't, it didn't phase me that there were no opening credits at the beginning. Cause a lot of movies aren't doing that now. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. uncommon for movies to just start. Yeah. And then, Finally, at the end, when the end titles happen, that's actually sort of the opening credits. So it didn't phase me as I was watching it because, you know, you don't really miss it. And then they came in and I was just like, hold on a second. Looking at the runtime, I'm like, 33 minutes. This is incredible. What a choice to have made. This is so cool. Very cool. We're just starting the movie and it's been on for 30 minutes. <laughs> Which I mean it's fair because like till that point it is seems like just like like hey it's a regular romantic comedy. It's like a meet cute at a grocery store and then you, there's the first date and then there's the oh this is kind of interesting new and interesting and uh, I wonder what's going to happen next with this relationship and then there's the invitation to go on a trip and then um and then there's a drugging and mm-hmm. that and that's when we get the turn um i'm not sure i'm as enthusiastic as you are i think i think two hours and it's almost two hours long is asking a lot i think i actually wish it was more gross um yeah. I, you know it is cannibalism and at the same time there's like these scenes where uh human meat is being lovingly um, butchered and prepared and cooked. And the whole time I was thinking about Hannibal, um, the series Hannibal, how uh, there, there were so many wonderful dinner scenes in that, in that series where th- the, the cannibalism actually did look very appealing um, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, to, to, sort of attach myself to um <laughs> your to make sure we don't both walk out of this uh, unscathed <laughs> yes um <laughs> but so so there's I, I had some issues with that I, I i wondered if it could have been grosser i wonder if it could have um maybe not going full raw which um is maybe one of the grossest cannibalism mm-hmm. movies ever made but um i mean there's the french again uh yes. but <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know i i, I feel like um maybe there wasn't enough blood for my suiting i don't know but the other part of it is i uh, i could have done without the amateur detective work of the friend uh that kind of very much reminded me of um of get out mm-hmm. um but i i felt that this was more of a inside this film was more of a two-hander it really should have been all about the daisy edgar jones and the sebastian stan characters and it should have always been about them and their dynamics and their weirdness and um the ways that she tries to manipulate him and the ways he's kind of full of himself and thinking he's manipulating her that's the real pardon the pun meat 
of the <laughs> the movie. Um, and every time we cut away to the friend who's um, again doing really, I mean, actually, it's pretty well. She she does a good job of actually, and it shows just how much social media can turn us into a private detective if we're motivated enough. But um, there, there's a scene where there's a confrontation. She goes to the trouble of texting a friend where she is so that if he doesn't mm-hmm. hear from her, uh, he can um, act accordingly. But then she does something so stupid inside the house yeah. that I was like, oh, my God, like, yeah. That was that was that was too dumb to be allowed in this yeah. movie. <laughs> so, um, wh- what I so to counter that, I will say, yeah. and I understand about the cannibal, the grossness of the cannibalism. So, the cannibalism really actually wasn't the horror of this film mm-hmm. at all. The horror of this film was really about dating. Um, yeah, about <laughs> about men and misogyny, and um, yeah, like how they how they manipulate, how they gaslight how they take what they want from you and mm-hmm. and that's that mm-hmm. and so that scene that you're talking about i think i i sort of agree it's like oh why did you do that inside the house but but the reason i can say as a woman is because she wanted the wife to know right she did not suspect that it wouldn't have gone her way Mm-hmm. Right. So there mm-hmm. is a lot in this film about women. And this is why it is so important to have her best friend who's so desperately looking for her because it is about, um, you know, women coming together to keep each other safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the women who who do that or who don't. And even, you know, with um, Noah, uh, the character in inside the home, mm-hmm. <laughs> the prison. Right. Um, there is so much about her getting to know other women who are there. That and not like, only yeah. other women who are there, but also other women who have been through, right? She even manages to sort of create a relationship with this this character, Sammy, mm-hmm. um, who you know had written a note in a in a magazine. And so it is about like how important it is for these women to sort of Mm-hmm. tell each other their truths and to always you know always talk about it because that's the thing um not to get too heavy or deep um <laughs> there's a lot of talk about women who make accusations against men mm-hmm. of things that they've done mm-hmm. and you know whether or not it's true whether you know it's a false accusation or you can just go around making an accusation and you ruin you know a man's life cuz which has 100% proven to not be the case whatsoever. Mm. Uh, but that's a whole other argument. But the reality is, is that there is absolutely, there are only two reasons to ever actually talk about something that happened to you mm-hmm. in some sort of harassment. And it's one as part of your own you know, method of healing. Mm-hmm. So you need to tell the story so that you can feel like you can move forward. And two, to stop it from happening to someone else. Mm-hmm. And it's actually almost never about, you know, hurting the person who did it or any of that. Like, that's not really there's there's because that's not going to happen. <laughs> What's mm-hmm. going to happen if I tell my story of of something that happened to me is that I'm going to end up getting hurt. The person who did it isn't going to. So why would I bother telling it? And so that's, 
you know, part of what I see a lot in this film is how much the women are are talking to each other and telling each other what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then we see the ways that some sort of trauma or abuse affects different women, right? The one mm-hmm. woman um, is has completely lost her mind. The other one is on her way to, and she she kind of knows she is. She even sort of says at one point, like, are you... I've worried that you're just an imaginary person. I've just totally made you up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's, you know, the the woman, Sammy, who wrote the note, who obviously has, you know, has probably not survived, but felt some sort of need to tell enough of her own information. It's like, I got this far. You can get further if you mm-hmm. keep doing this, mm-hmm. right? Knowing that she would never, she might not survive, but she felt she had to do it. And then there's another woman in part, obviously the best friend, but then there's another woman outside of this whole situation mm-hmm. who has a totally different role as well. And it's so like, was she also, mm-hmm. you know, in this or mm-hmm. like, what is her role here as part of the trying to keep it quiet or safe? Or is she you know, like, is she part of it? Is she just trying to survive herself? And so we have all of these different stages that we see of of what happens and yeah. to me this is a, a film that could only have ever been made by a woman and yeah oh yeah is really like very coded with um other like other metaphors and other stories that potentially not only women but you know only people who have had some sort of you know, women or people who have had some sort of thing where they they do have to live in a bit of fear <laughs> mm-hmm. could mm-hmm. could maybe see it or feel it. Mm-hmm. I get no, I get all of that, and I I do. I mean, it, it's such a sigh of relief when you find out that uh, Penny, who is the the prisoner in the in the room next to Noah, is actually a real person, because your mind goes to oh, is this a manipulation to keep her in line, to calm her down by, oh, she has a friend and she, she's, she's imprisoned with someone who could be an, a friend and, or an ally. Um, and, and instead, it, it actually does turn out to be another woman who is, is also imprisoned. And um, I, I think that's, <laughs> in a weird way, that was sort of the least obvious uh, direction to, to go in with that. But yeah, I, I do... I do feel all of that. It, it, it is a great scene where Noah is kind of at her lowest point and she finds that note from, from Sammy that gives her the idea uh, on how to, on how to play things going forward. And, and that, again, I like those scenes a lot that uh, who is, who is playing who the most. Mm-hmm. Um and Sebastian Stan, we, we haven't talked about Sebastian Stan yet, but he is really great. And, and he's been great at this before, but this idea of like being the, <laughs> being the douchebag in the velvet glove, basically mm-hmm. um, he, 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 he was really, really, um, and it's not necessarily, not just because of like his, his recent past as a superhero of, of uh, ambiguous um, <laughs> <laughs> origin, but the, the, um, just you know the 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 projection he he is a good looking man who obviously can 
make a case for getting the things that he wants and uh and appreciating like the real danger in that oddly enough i was thinking a lot about um what if army hammer was playing this role oh. uh, which because like they're from the same they're like from the yeah. same kind of generation and they were both on gossip girl at roughly the same time too so um it, I, I was thinking a lot about that but it, it is interesting seeing sebastian stan in this um basically lampshading his own you know uh, personality and uh, you know good looking hollywood a-lister um and then having this side maybe it's not even a side hustle it seems to be his full-time business but also the way it's it's like phrased as a business mm-hmm. um you know he's and how like how messed up his psychology is because he's kind of phrasing it phrasing it to Genoa as like well i just I just kidnap people and cut them up and I send them to a discerning clientele. And yeah, and it's like, as though he doesn't also get his own enjoyment out of it. Well, this is it exactly because he reveals to her at one point, his trophy wall where he has like these little immaculately designed cubbies uh, with mementos from all the women. And of course there's one scene where he says like, women just taste better. It's, it's, a, it's <laughs> like, you know, as, as if, Anyway, as if there's like yep. probably a discernible difference in the taste between men and women, I'll leave that there. But the, the the other part of it too is you see the scene where he's shipping off the meat. He isn't just shipping off meat; he's shipping off mementos. So you have mm-hmm. this entire community of men who have convinced themselves, like, "Ooh, I'm the one percent of the one percent who just loves a a taboo delicacy." It's like, no, you're a psychopath who's also getting off of on the idea that these women were picked off the street and died horribly, so you can eat like a rich bastard yeah yeah his whole his whole uh speech about how you know you consume them and they become part of you forever i'm like ugh, quit yeah. like romanticizing yeah. you're just yeah. eating food <laughs> like you know again i don't want to sound like a like a, a cannibal but um meat is meat if you're eating the flesh of an animal also he has the one line oh i just i don't eat animals i'm like i'm sorry to tell you buddy yeah. humans are animals yeah um so if you're eating the flesh of a living being that's what you're doing period there's no profoundness between eating a chicken or a human or a fish like also sorry. if you want if you want to eat something that stays with you forever eat a twinkie I'm just <laughs> also that yeah yeah <laughs> so like his whole it was just so like oh you're so grandiose and you sound ridiculous because that's not remote like no there is no romanticism to this it is literally about you having power over over women that's what it is quit quit trying this what i do so one thing i do really love about you know this sort of later end of the film Mm. when things kind of shift a little and noah is starting to to try to manipulate her way out of this um so what Mm -hmm. i what i really Mm -hmm. love is how one how completely she commits is great but two how much steve sebastian stan's character steve Mm -hmm. how much he really falls for it and Mm -hmm. it's just Mm -hmm. it's a real statement right about like what what a man will choose to believe when he thinks that he's going to get sexual pleasure out of something and it reminds me so much of the film the original like 70s film i spit on your grave or day Mm -hmm. of the woman as it was called which Mm -hmm. is a really really incredibly difficult movie to watch um and i think on purpose like it's 
Mm -hmm. There are people who are like, oh, it glorifies rape. I'm like, no, there is no glorification of that at all here. Like it is really Mm -hmm. bad. Mm -hmm. But the, the lead guy who was part of this gang who raped this woman honestly believes when she shows up and tries to seduce him, honestly believes, oh, oh, yeah. Okay, so you're into it. Yeah. And and like willingly goes off with her and, you know, it ends up to his demise in I Spit on Your Grave because he ends up in the most vulnerable of situations, which is basically, you know, part of what you have to do when you're when you're having sex. Mm-hmm. And she just kills him. I'm like, I cannot believe that this guy would honestly think after having spent a whole day leading a whole gang of people yeah. to viciously rape this woman that the very next day she would think oh i'm i'm gonna go have sex with you but, but yet it's, not, he it's does. not a movie invention though right because there's that there's those women there's women in scandinavian world war ii who basically honey potted ss officers led them into the woods and butchered them all on the promise of sex and it's like no like you occupy their land you're killing <laughs> their neighbors why would you go follow them into the woods to <laughs> You know, why would they take you into the woods? Don't you have a home somewhere? Yeah. So, so not all men, maybe not you, Adam, but no. men are stupid. <laughs> like, right. honestly, how stupid do you have to be? Or how completely dominated by your sexual desire are you? Like, yeah, it, I mean, it is, it is him fooling himself um, because he doesn't seem to take notice that uh after the first time he feeds her people she ralphs um she probably doesn't he doesn't really kind of pick up on <laughs> yeah and it's like she wasn't really trying to hide it very well so i'm no, not sure how no, he missed it's, it yeah it's it's yeah it, it, there is a, a really great commentary there about like how despite the hoity-toity um uh, phrasing of all of this there's there's a basic um basic misogynist psychology behind all of this it's like you're you're not a connoisseur you're just a a jerk and a prick and fittingly it's it's fittingly certain things happen in the course of the last 15 minutes (laughs) yes yes um i i do want to say mm-hmm. so in the first 30 minutes when it's still sort of a romance mm-hmm. uh, uh, god i really loved that part they did such a great job and this was um again like so clearly directed by a woman and we've talked about it a little bit in the past i've talked mm-hmm. about like the female gaze versus the male gaze and how mm-hmm. sometimes it's really difficult to sort of pinpoint what it is mm-hmm. but this film made it so clear to me so in that first scene when they're having drinks together mm-hmm. um on their first date. Oh my goodness. I have never seen a film. I've never seen a man so captured on screen in exactly sort of the ways that I know I would fixate on (laughs) a man looking at him. If I was interested, I was just like, Whoa, whoever directed this knows exactly where women are, are sort of looking right. Like, Mm. And it was like up close on on Sebastian Stan's face. You'd see just like an eye or a little bit of the chin or things like it was just like it was so it was so exactly. I was like, Mm -hmm. wow, that's that's incredible. And that whole scene, actually, I really, really loved the staging of it because uh, I don't know how they found this location, but what a cool (laughs) location. So they're in a booth 
Mm-hmm. And so they're sitting on the same bench side of the booth, side by side, and there's a mirror right behind them. Mm-hmm. And so we're filming with Sebastian Stan in the foreground, and in the background, we see the reflection of Daisy Edgar Jones yeah. questioning him. And it was so cool because, and yeah. what I loved about it, it's like, we're not even going to, like the, the eye line, everything is so clearly like off because Sebastian Stan's looking at her but the reflection of her is looking obviously at something else because Mm -hmm. it's a reflection so (laughs) it's hard Mm -hmm. it's not like it was such a cool shot and staging and i just loved it and that whole like just the direction of that entire sort of bit when they were getting to know each other i was like i would watch a whole like (laughs) dinner with andre type movie directed (laughs) by this woman yeah in this sort of staging it was so incredible yeah, and uh, I I know I made a note of that shot as well. It it was really um, it shows like real craft behind this too. Uh, it it wasn't just a matter of it, it's it's not just compelling because Mimi Cave and Lauren Kahn, who wrote the screenplay, clearly had something to say. But um, there is real uh, filmmaking craft that makes it um, click as well. I want to give a shout out to the gallows humor in the film too like it, it is despite like the scariness and the awfulness um it will pop some jokes that most people might find inappropriate given the situation mm-hmm. <laughs> um like when he says like oh there's still some hope left and they're eating the meat from a woman named hope it's yeah it's it's completely inappropriate and tactless but um you know you kind of dig it too it speaks it speaks to that mind that likes cannibalism cannibalism movies i guess that we all have but um <laughs> yeah yeah it's just i i appreciated that uh there was some room for levity too despite the the very the, the, the seriousness going on in the film mm-hmm. yeah and even um like the last the very last mm-hmm. uh bit of dialogue of the film mm-hmm. that he was married. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Which, like, after all of this, that's what you're upset about. Like that he was lying because he was married, and then of course the whole like, well, he was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was a good bit too. Um, but I mean, it you know it speaks to it speaks to you know the human mind. We can we can't focus on multifaceted things one thing at a time. You know. Either we're being chased across the yard because somebody wants to butcher us or we're disappointed that someone's <laughs> anywho. Anywho, we'll have to leave that there. <laughs> That's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. And if you want to listen to it again, you can find us on our website and creditsradioshow.com. You can download us from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And speaking of Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just search for End Credits on CFRU on the Spotify website. You can find us on social media on Facebook and End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Candice, where can people track you down on cannibalism Twitter? (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, sadly, that's actually the, the, the not funny joke because there's some real cannibalism going on on Army Hammer's Twitter, apparently. Um, so uh, you can reach me at sin48, C-I-N-N-4-8. I'm on every single social media you can find. Um, but yes, if you want to know about uh, my my predilection for horror and romantic comedies and romantic comedy horror, probably Twitter or Letterboxd are the way to go. All right. I will be back on CFRU tomorrow at 5 p.m. for News and Politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson. You can find my News and Politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. You can stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU, 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We will return next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for more end credits, and we will see you then. <laughs>